And if you have elementary age kiddos or below, we love to be part of our Vine Kids time right outside of these doors. Likewise, middle school age folks, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, right back here in the uh, back 40 there, we have an opportunity for you guys and girls to have time together. Um, fantastic. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. Again, I want to reiterate, if you are here for the very first time, we want to tell you that it is our great privilege to have you here. Welcome to Vine Community Church. Um, our goal, as I say, is just really simple. We, we really hope that you would have an encounter with the risen Christ and that people would be nice to you. Like that's really our deepest sort of goal. And so uh, not to entertain you or make you want to come back or to put on our best behavior or any of those kind of things, but just that you would have this encounter with Christ and that the people around you would authentically just be kind. And so that's just kind of the community we want to be. And so we're really, really glad that you're here. Um, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. We're actually starting, uh, actually last week we started this new series. We had kind of been working through some big Old Testament and New Testament pieces this summer as we looked at ordinary people, just people in Scripture that were part of this great collective of the ordinary that you and I are a part of, right? David and Moses and Isaiah, all the way through the New Testament from the woman at the well to the disciples that were called, this picture of ordinary people that you and I are part of as followers of Christ and how God not only uses them to do extraordinary things, but change their lives in radical ways. We kind of explored that all summer and we really enjoyed it. It's a little bit different than what we normally do. A lot of times we just really like to work through kind of bigger pieces of Scripture uh, and look at the sort of whole biblical context of it all. Our goal as teachers and as a church is that you would fall in love with the Word of God, right? Not that you would come and entertain and hit all the sort of topical areas of your life, but that you would know where to go when life is challenging or wonderful or hard or complicated or amazing or whatever those things are. You would turn back to the Word of God and you would say, yeah, we work through this. I see where this is or what God is doing, and so we want you to have a love affair with God's Word. Um, and so as we transition to the fall, we wanted to get back into that sort of picture. And as I mentioned last week, like everything that I teach or preach on really is sort of this overflowing of what God is doing in me, right? It's sort of this kind of cathartic thing that I just sort of come up here and spill out what Jesus is teaching my heart. And it's amazing that somehow along the way he makes any of that relevant for you all. And uh, so really, you know, if you're thinking that this guy's got something to say to me, the truth is this is just what God's wrecking in my heart. And it kind of comes out during the week and then I end up sort of teaching about it. And we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a really powerful, cool letter because it's written differently than most of the other letters in the New Testament, right? It was not written to a specific people group, and it was not written to address a specific heresy or problem. It was written to a collective of people that were living in the middle of a really hard life. It was written to all the believers that were scattered all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey in between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. It was written to people that were not generationally Christians. They didn't have families or grandparents or parents that were most likely believers. They were first-generation Christians living in a very non-Christian culture, facing persecution on a daily basis that was very real. That today might be the day that I wake up and I die for my faith. My family may not believe what I believe. The people around me may not believe what I believe. They were first-generation Christians that had either come to know Christ through one of the missionary journeys or through how the gospel had made it up there or how as Christianity was kind of decentralized by the Jewish leaders and they were pressed out by the Romans and the Jewish people thrown into different pockets of culture, kind of decentralizing the movement, hoping it wouldn't gain kind of uh, momentum or steam. They took some of the leaders and they threw them all over the place. And so you're looking at this scattered group of believers that were living a lot in isolation and they were wondering every day, like, life is just really hard. 
right? And so last week, I kind of gave you this little intro to our series. I'll do it again just for those of you that weren't here last week, and then from now on, we'll kind of just dive into it. But if you think about the perspective of what they were waking up to 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor, where the reality of persecution in a non-Christian culture and all those kind of things, and then you would understand that life is really hard. And we talked about that. We talked about how life, even for us, is really hard. It's like the understatement of the year, right? Life is hard. It's just challenging. It's just hard. And I remember it as a 13-year-old kid. I would do yard work for my dad or whatever, and I would complain. I'd be like, Dad, this is hard. I don't want to move these rocks, or I don't want to do that or whatever. And my dad would say, guess what? Life is hard, right? Move the rocks. He wasn't telling me that the rocks weren't heavy. The bigger, of course, message there is that, listen, life in itself is really hard. We don't just get to quit it. And if we really talked honestly in here, we'd understand that most of us deal with the reality of a difficult life. Like marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. Getting hold of your financial life is hard. Raising kids is hard. Wondering if you're ever going to have a family is hard. Trying to meet the expectations of your mom or your dad, right? Or trying to be the person at work that you know you're supposed to be in a job that you just want to sit and cry in the parking lot. Like life is really hard. Hurt is hard. Loss is hard. Morality is hard. Life is hard. I don't think any of us at 13 understood exactly how hard life would be. And it has its moments, right? It has its seasons. It's not always that kind of overwhelmingly hard. Sometimes it's very manageable. Sometimes it's even greater than that. But it has these seasons and these moments where it just feels like if one more thing piles on, I'm going to lose it. And at that moment in time, life just sort of jumps on. Life's hard. And most of us struggle in the middle of life's difficulties for one main reason. It's that we feel alone. We look around us and everybody else seems to have it together or it seems to be working or not going so desperately wrong for them. And we feel very isolated. We feel very much like I'm the only one that can't seem to get a handle on my life or manage our finances or keep my marriage or my husband or my wife together with me in this thing. Or this is not what I dreamed up when I woke up 17 years ago or whatever this is. Like I seem to be the only one that's battling this repeated thought over and over and over and over again or this behavior over and over again. Or I'm the only one that we can't seem to manage this. And I look around us and everybody else, whether it's an image I see on social media, just in the life, seems to have it. I just feel alone. There's a couple of things that as we start this series in 1 Peter that I want you to understand as we kind of stand on the onset of this, looking into this letter, what these early century, first century believers were dealing with, right? And I want you to understand these two things. One, you are not alone. You're not alone. If anything, if you feel that way, then you can recognize that you're not alone because I am in the middle of feeling a lot of those things all the time. That God has given us this incredible group of believers called the church, whether it's this one or just the bigger C church, that we are walking through this thing with. Peter wrote this letter to gathered small groups of people that were living in the middle of a lonely life. But even more incredible than that is that God has given us himself. He has given us Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that as followers of Christ, we never are ever alone. We have been given the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So even in those moments where we feel like we just don't want to get out of bed, we can wake up to the realities that God has never left and never will leave, and that he has given us people that if we actually open up our lives in an authentic way, we will recognize other believers that are walking through the exact same thing. 
But the truth is most of us are petrified of being authentic, so we may never actually know what the people in the same room that we gather with on Sunday morning are really truly going through. But I will tell you, if you risk with believers, you will find incredible comfort. First Peter is really about that. It's about this idea that as you walk through life's difficult times, struggles, hurts, heartaches, persecution, famine, you're not alone. Not only is God with you, but he has given you people around you, and Peter is connecting them, linking them together with this letter. The second thing he reminds them of that I want us to hang on to is that we have been called to life. The goal, your goal, my goal, should not just be to make it to the other end of this thing unscathed, to get to the end of a 60, 70, 80-year life or whatever and say, you know what, I made it. But there is more to this life that we've been called to, that we've been called to find hope and joy and purpose in every single one of life's moments. That means today as you wake up and draw breath, God has given you the opportunity to be called to life, real, true, abundant life, life that is full of hope and purpose and joy. We explored a lot of that last week as we talked about the opportunity to choose joy. But these are truths that are kind of walked through the letter of 1 Peter are going to be based on. That look, life is hard. Yes, you are not alone. And you have been called to something incredibly beautiful. Not to just manage the difficulties and get to the other side, like get on with it, but to really find beauty in every moment. And it's something that I wrestle with on a daily basis, waking up and saying, God, man, today I'm yours. I'm yours. And I know there's purpose in this day. And I know there's joy in this day. And I know I have hope in you in this day. And so, God, Show me. It's what I struggle with. First Peter is an incredible letter. And so last week we sort of explored some of this encouragement that is built around this sort of opening to his letter. Like, listen, you're not lost. You're not forgotten. God has chosen you. He has anointed you. He has called you. You are gathered. You are not alone. You are, you are strangers in this world. And we talked through all those kind of pieces and we talked about hope and kind of these different things. This morning we're going to continue down that trajectory, but we're going to move towards a, the idea of changing our mindset. How do we begin to think differently about our Christian life? If we're going to truly believe that there are life in every moment and joy in every moment and hope in every moment and purpose in every moment, we've got to start by changing the way that we think. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Peter. We're going to be in verse 13 of chapter 1. We're going to look through just a few verses this morning, um, and then we will pray together. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open that up, and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place together from all walks of life, from all different places and all different things, literally brought together by one unique and amazing truth that you are God. Some of us have been raised in uh, different traditions or different cultures or different religions. Some of us have been raised in church families. Some of us have been raised by Christian parents Lord, some of us got married and had kids and thought maybe we should do something morally right with them. And so the truth is we just come here from all different places. It's what the church looks like. It's this collective of people that are, well, they're just bruised and battered and broken and not perfect, gathered together for one singular and holy purpose, and that is just by your grace and to glorify you. And that every single one of us has a place here, a purpose here. And so, Lord, this morning, I'm grateful for the next few moments that we have together that you would just press us together. Unite our hearts and remind us that we're not alone, that we have been called to something beautiful together. Take a moment in your own heart and life this morning and just pray that God would teach you. 
It doesn't have to be anything unbelievable. Just that God would teach your heart. That you would drop whatever walls or baggage that you've put up or brought with you. And just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Take a moment, and we do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. And just ask the Lord to move in the person next to you. Maybe it's your husband, your wife, your kiddo, a friend, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, somebody you've never met or seen before. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on a Sunday morning is not about you. Pray for somebody. Pray that God would move in them. Be excited about seeing God do things in the lives of people. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. Everything from worship to your word, you are in and through all things. We don't invite you in this place. We know you're here. There's nowhere we can go to escape your presence, Lord. We don't have the power to invite you anywhere. You are inescapable. You are in the very breath that we draw. God, you are everywhere and in all things, and you hold all things together. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would make yourself known to us through the teaching and the reading of your word, that you would teach our hearts. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're going to look at just a few verses this morning in the middle of 1 Peter. We're still in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, big encouragements, kind of big movements. This week, very specific, kind of drawn-out, practical things to know. And remember who we're writing to, right? Peter's writing to this scattered, collected kind of group of people that are really waking up to some really strong realities, right? That persecution is real, this is not a Christian culture, and that I very much feel like in the middle of all this, life is really hard. So he's going to begin to change or attempt to change the way that they think, and then in turn, the way that we think. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, Excuse me, because I am holy. So Peter's going to begin to work on the mindset. Because it's one thing to say that I believe that I've been called to life or that God is in all things or that I have been chosen by him, as we saw last week, that I am a stranger in this world, that I'm called to have a new hope. It's one thing to hear those things. another thing to let them process and change the way that we think. Part of living as a follower of Christ is getting the things that we proclaim about God to line up with the things that we think about God so that they manifest in how we live. Right? So the things that I say, the things that I think have got to come together as they manifest and change the actual way that I live. A lot of times we may think God is this. Um, A lot of times we may, you know, ready our minds for this, but it doesn't ever transition to how I fully do this. And I believe that God is in control of all things. I say that I trust him, but my life does not echo that. I live like I trust only me. What Peter's really writing about is saying, the things that you know and proclaim about God, we have to change the way that we think so they'll change the way that we actually, truly 
live. So the things that we think become the things that we believe becomes the things that we, the things that we live. So he starts off by saying this, right? So in order to do that, you have to prepare your mind for action. So if you're going to truly live this following of Christ way, if you are going to have your hope fully in Christ, we talked about last week, you have to change the way that you think. You have to prepare your mind for action and be self-controlled. So most of us, when we think about our life in Christ, it is not an action-oriented life. In fact, most of us would rather our life in Christ have very little action. Because action requires a lot of things. It requires trust and resilience and promise and hope. And most of us are really comfortable living on the cultural side of Christianity. The cultural side of Christianity that says, hey, I can join a church because I get married in the sanctuary for half off. Or if I join this church, I get moved up the Mother's Day out list. Or if I join this church, maybe our kid who's, acting, who's in the fifth grade and acting like a complete idiot will be in a youth group and that will change them. Or, or, you know, we went to church before we got married, but now we're married and we think we should probably go back because we, for our friends, we just don't make them that easy anymore. Like we enjoy church culturally for a thousand different reasons. And most of us really like that idea of Christianity. We love the cultural aspect because we live in a pretty predominantly driven cultural Christian area here in Oklahoma, Right? makes up part of our day, part of our network, part of our life. And we live in that sort of non-action-oriented Christianity that requires very little of me. We'd be very happy if our Christian life didn't require any action. If I could just go about my life and show up at church and worship and God worked everything out, my marriage was great and we did this and we got our date nights in and my kids didn't cuss at me, like whatever those things are, it just worked, Right? It's worked. My Christian life doesn't require any action. But Peter, addressing a group of people that, whose very life, when they gave their life to Christ, threw them into action, says you have to prepare your minds for it. I never really understood this until, oh, I guess our first time we took a team to China, right, uh, years ago. And we were working with these Chinese believers, students actually, college kids, and we'd do these Bible studies in these apartments, and they'd pull out a box of Bibles from under the bed because you couldn't have them. They'd hide them, and they'd pull them out, and you'd do Bible study, and, and uh, they get, the missionaries that we were partnering with were over there, and they were talking to us about one of these Bible studies, and that there was a kid in there that, that they thought was really close to becoming a, a believer, giving his life to Christ, that he had been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it for a year a year or so. <clears throat> So we're sitting in this circle, a uh, couple of us and a bunch of Chinese kind of uh, believers are close to their believers, and uh, one of our missionaries asked the kid, you know, hey, you know, are, are you any closer to thinking you want to put your faith in Christ? And he says, no, but I know I will <clears throat> one day. <clears throat> so after we were done with uh, that Bible study, we're standing around, we're talking to this kid, and, and he says, so what's, what, what's the holdup? Like, if you believe these things about Jesus, why not just kind of articulate it and say it and give your whole life to Christ? And basically in English, what he says is, I don't think you understand what this costs me. If I say that I'm a Christian, I give my whole life to that, I essentially lose my family, job, my school, everything's taken from me. And so while he fully believed, he was at a place where he also was marking his life that this Christian life for me is a life full of action. That the moment I go home and I tell my family that I've given my life into Christ is the day that my family tells me to get out. The day that I'm ridiculed by my friends, put at threat by the government, possibly arrested. Like the future of that 
I've got to be really certain of. That when I proclaim myself a Christian, essentially what he's saying is a little different than what we say over here. Most of us will call ourselves Christians just simply so we can designate that we're not Catholic or that we believe in God. But this young man knew and understood that when he said yes to Jesus, it was a life of action. And most of us don't want to live in that place. But that's really what Peter's saying as he's saying, listen, prepare your minds. In other words, ready your mind for a life that wants God to lead you into a place of trust and movement. That if we are sitting in a place and our Christian life costs us nothing, what are we really doing? Grace is costly. Right? Bonhoeffer said it. Grace is costly. The Christian life is about death to self. It's a constant life of movement. Dying to myself and saying yes to the Lord. Preparing my mind that today is a day for action in Christ. God, what are you calling me to die to today? Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Think about that tag on, right? It's not just like carry your sword into battle action. Like, God, I'm willing to do anything for you today. Like, take me to the, to the front lines. He's basically saying, listen, prepare your minds for action because the greatest struggle you're going to have today is going to come against the impulses of yourself. You have got to be self-controlled. Your impulses, right, will be your greatest deterrent. We're going to see that played out again in a moment. But control your anger. Your words, your language, your thoughts, right? Don't chase things that don't need to be chased. Don't chase a thought pattern that you know leads to destruction. Be self-controlled. So Peter says, listen, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Don't be your own worst enemy when it comes to readying your heart for Christ. Fight your impulses kind of a deal. I asked myself this this week. I said, you know, how is my life in the Christian action department? And not in the like, I'm willing to go to the ends of whatever and do whatever. I mean, just like today when I wake up and saying, God, as I ready myself for church or for, for work or for life or to take on the day, do I, do I just close my eyes and say, God, whatever you bring me today, let me take on with joy and with purpose like ready me to speak to people, to meet with someone, to just be a reflection, a dis, kind of a disbursement of your grace. Like I want to have every moment that I've seized for you. I want to be kind and gracious and loving to my wife. And I want to be an incredible role model for my children. Like ready my heart. Like show me where you're working and empower me to join you. Most of us, myself included, when it comes to the action department of our Christian life, we forget that following Christ is this daily death, not just action on the missionary lines or wherever, but readying my heart to follow the Lord today, fighting my own sinful nature to be a person that bleeds grace. Right? So he says, listen, prepare your minds for action because the moment you give your life to Jesus is the moment you become his tool, his vessel, his opportunity for grace and gospel in somebody else's life. So Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Right? Set your hope. <clears throat> no, he says, set your hope fully 
on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We talked a little bit about this last week. Set your hope, right? Last week we talked about hope. The idea that most of us use when it comes to hope is one of uncertainty rather than certainty, right? I hope it doesn't rain, right? I hope my whatever comes back. I hope my Amazon package makes it. Like everything is sort of set on uncertainty. I only know because we're, we, we literally put Jeff Bezos' kids through college, right? Like we are Amazon masters at our house. I told Mary last night, I was like, really? Another one? I just saw the doorbell literally ring on my watch, Amazon's at the house Sunday morning. They should be at church. <laughs> they probably go to live church Saturday night. So I was judgmental. That was wrong. They go, they go to night church, the Amazon. Folks. But literally, right? Like we live in this sort of hope is this uncertainty. We don't really know, but we're hoping it works out, right? I hope this works out. I hope I get a, rose, hope a raise. I hope my boss is nice to me. All these kind of things. But that's not really how biblical hope is used. Biblical hope is actually anchored in certainty. It's anchored in this confident expectation. When he says that we put our hope in the grace of Jesus Christ, like we're saying that I can have confident expectation and that what God promises is true and real and will happen. We talked all about this last week, that Jesus is our living hope. That we can have confident expectation that he is who he says he is, that his promises are real, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. With confidence. The world, I may not know how any pieces of it will work. I may not know what happens when I walk out these doors, when I pull out that parking lot. I have no idea what today, tomorrow, or Tuesday brings. But I can have confident expectation and the things that God has promised me. And he says, listen, as you prepare your minds for action and you are self-controlled, set your confident expectation on the grace that is given to you when Jesus is revealed. In other words, when Christ is revealed, the truth of his grace that we know to be ours in Christ, that's where our confidence and hope comes from. In other words, you can't do any of these things on your own. But we set our certain expectation of hope on the grace of Christ because it is the only certain thing that you cannot do it, that you will not do it, but that God's, but God's grace is sufficient, that you will never earn or work your way any closer to him, that no amount of you trying to morally position yourself correctly before the eyes of God will get you one step closer to who he is. And so in the middle of a life, we're working our hardest to prepare our minds for action, understanding that we will never be ready enough that we will never be faithful enough, that we will never be good enough. So we set our confident expectations on the grace of Christ, that, God, you will fill in and be more than I've ever needed or longed for. So we set our confident expectation on the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say this. He says, <clears throat> do not as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires when you had when you lived and ignorance. As obedient children, listen, believers, followers, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had. Paul talks a little bit about this in Romans 12, right, where he says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But notice the difference in what Peter and what Paul says. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, right? And Peter essentially says, as obedient children, don't conform to the way you were. Which is really interesting, right? It's really easy for us to look at the world around us and say, I don't want to be like that. That depraved morality that's out there. That sort of worldly way of thinking about life and about success and about materialism and all those things. Like, I don't want to conform to that. And that's how we think about life as Christians. Like, if I can just stay morally above the riffraff, right? 
If I just don't do this, if I go up to that line but not over that line, and I stay morally under right where the riffraff of society is, culture is, what it thinks about sex, what it thinks about uh, materialism, what it thinks about all these different things, if I can see the way the culture's going and I cannot conform to that, then that is my standard as a follower of Christ. And on one hand, it's true. Don't conform to the way the world is. But Peter says something uniquely different. He says, obedient children, do not conform, right, to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, the world is not the problem. You are the problem because you are part of the world. Your sinful nature is very real. It's, very, it's a part of your DNA. It's who you are. That outside of Christ, you are a part of the moral decay that is called the world. You are actually alienated from God because of your evil behavior. Scripture is very clear about that. So your goal as a follower of Christ who's preparing their minds for action, being self-controlled, setting our hope on the grace of Christ, is to not step back into the life of who you were. That you are part of the problem. And that we can't conform to that. And if you understand where you came from, if I understand where I truly came from, then we understand what Peter's saying. Because you know how easy it is to fall back into a line of thinking. One thought to another thought. One lie to another lie. One step to another step. One action to another action. We can justify any number of things as followers of Christ. And it doesn't take much. Because we're part of this sort of moral bankruptcy. And we've been given this incredibly new redeemed life in Christ. And we celebrate that. And the more time we spend living in it, and the more time we spend not paying attention to it, the easier it is for us to conform to who we were. Because the enemy constantly raises that stuff back up in you. You don't deserve that. Look, they, you know who you really are? I know what you did. None of these people in here know what you did. I know what you did before you met Jesus. I know how you spoke, how you talked, how you act. I know what you still do. You think you're good enough for that? And we begin to think down those lines. And one thought to another thought, one lie to another lie. And we conform slowly to the patterns we had. Conforming to something doesn't happen immediately. It's not like a massive shrink wrap. It's just slowly over time. We wake up one day and I'm stuck in the middle of a lie that I believed for years about myself. Or I've justified a pattern of behavior that I know is bankrupting my heart. And I've justified it in a way because, well, really the people around me do it. And I've found a way to kind of just speak it into my own life a little bit. And Peter says, listen, living as a believer in a world where there are no other believers is really hard. And I'm not as worried about you as conforming to them. It's just conforming to who you were. Because we're not surrounded with people that build you up. We tend to fall back to the patterns that we know. And so if you're living as an isolated believer, no life group, no accountability, no support, no, none of those things, it's really easy to fall back into who you were. Look, I'm not worried you're going to get swept up into a, a wave of serial killing because all of a sudden the world's killing people. I'm worried that we're going to fall back into who we were. The lies, right? The garbage. The thought processes that are destructive. The jealousy and greed that 
fills our hearts, like the lust, the things that just penetrate who we are, the desire to be like other people. All those things that made us up before we were Christ, knew Christ, all those things that, that he took away and substituted himself for. He is our goal. He is our pursuit. He is our glory. You take Christ away, and what were those things? Materialism, stuff, right? Sex, whatever it is, name it. We pursued it. Do you know how easy it is to go back and exchange again? Not intentionally, but because we slowly start to look around us, feeling alone, the lie that we believed before, that nobody else is going through that, and we begin to desire, to want, to lust, to long for. And slowly we conform, not just to the world, but to who we were, because we're not living as a redeemed people that God has created us to be the new creation that we have in Christ. And so Peter says, living this way is really dangerous. Find accountability. You're in an isolated situation. Get with a life group. Get with accountability. Open the Bible with your husband and wife. Or your husband or wife. Probably not both of them. <laughs> Listen, we got bigger issues. If that's what's... Open the Bible together, right? Do not conform to the pattern, right, of who you were. Lastly, we'll wrap everything up. He says this. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. As he who called you is holy, be holy, because I am holy. Now, most of us, of course, we've talked about this before in here a year or so ago. We think about holiness as sort of this pious religious living, like be holy, meaning I can't mess up. I've got to be holy. That's not really what the idea of holiness in the Bible really means when talking about ourselves. When we're talking about the holiness of God, yes, but we're talking about holiness. We're really looking at something different. So that verse right there is actually a quote out of Leviticus 11. And the word for holy in that idea of Leviticus is the word kadosh, which means to be set apart for a specific purpose by God. So really what we're saying is that we're in pursuit of holiness. We are understanding that we have, been, we have been chosen, right, as we saw last week, that we have been chosen by God. His initiation with creation has taken you out. He has called you for his purposes, and he has set you apart to be used for his glory, that you have been called and set apart for the glory of God. So holiness is not my incredible pursuit of never messing up. Holiness is my pursuit of understanding that God has called me, that I've been set apart for his glory, that I've been called to be used by him. I have an incredible, specific purpose. I can wake up today and I can realize that God has saved me for a purpose, for his glory. I've been set apart. That idea of kadosh, like I literally have been called by God and set apart to be used by him for his glory. <clears throat> Which means that no matter what your role is, whether you're here on a Sunday morning leading worship like Dawn or whether you sit in a cubicle at Chesapeake or whether you work downtown or you sell real estate or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're raising kids or you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, that you have been called and chosen by God for an incredible purpose that is for his glory, that your life is not meaningless, that it is not less than someone else's, that we don't get to measure our lives up against impact with everybody else, Celebrity status, Christian people, bloggers, whatever. They don't have a more special honorary spot or purpose than you do. The reality is as followers of Christ, we are called to be holy, set apart, to be used by God for his glory, whatever that is. That means that today, whatever that moment, breath, opportunity is, is an opportunity for God to use you for his incredible purpose. It means that you have purpose. Every breath you draw does. 
we should be bleeding grace, saying, God, use me. And this is what, what Peter's saying to a group of believers that feel very isolated and alone. God has called you, and he has a purpose for your life. So live in it. Be holy. Just as he who called you Christ is set apart, is holy, so are you. It's a really powerful thing to understand, right? That God has ordained your life for his glory. So this is what Peter says. Ready your mind. Start thinking differently. Differently about today. Right? Prepare your minds for action. To be ready to be moved by God. God, whatever you bring me today, I want to seize and I want to find joy in and I want to find purpose in and I want to find hope in. I do not want to sit back. I want to be used by you to speak in the lives of the people around me, to speak love and truth and forgiveness and grace and kindness and compassion in the lives of people. Like, let me be a person of action. Let me set my hope fully on you. Fully on you, expecting your grace because I have to have it. Don't let me conform not just to the world that's moving at a thousand miles an hour in one direction, but don't let me conform to who I, thought, who I was. The lies that I believed, like the garbage that filled my life. Most of us are more disappointed in our Christian life because where we're not. But if we stop to look at where God has brought us from, it's staggering. Pause. God, you have delivered me and brought me from so far. Like, I don't want to go back to that way of thinking who I was. Don't let me conform to those lies that I believed. All right, and then finally, Lord, you have called me and set me apart. I didn't do this on my own. Like, you have drawn me and called me. We are strangers here. You have a holy purpose for me. You have called me as you called Christ to be used by you for your glory. As he who called me is holy, I will be holy. I will be set apart. I will be your vessel. I will be used by you. And Peter says, this is the way of thinking that drives a life that can find hope and joy and purpose in every breathing moment. Which means today, for whoever is sitting out here, is not a loss. There is opportunity the second that we pray and begin to leave or sit or gather or talk to the person next to us. Every conversation is an opportunity for you to be ready to be used by the Lord, to find joy and purpose in your life. You are not a captive. You are not being thrown around by the winds of culture. God has got a plan and a purpose for you in every moment we can seize for his glory. As we walk out of this place, we close our time in worship. Let us be empowered by that truth that God has set us apart and called us to something great. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to open your word. Lord, we recognize that we may not live as first century Christians scattered around some countryside where no one believes what we believe, but if we're really truthful, sometimes we feel really alone. Even in a Christian culture, in a church with, I don't know, a couple hundred people sitting here this morning, like we still feel really alone. We feel isolated. Maybe we've gone through some deep loss. Or maybe we're wondering if it's ever really going to work, our plan, if we're ever really going to get married, if our marriage is ever going to really get healed, if our kids are ever going to really get it, if the job's ever going to change, if we're ever going to seize our finances, if anything's ever going to happen, it just feels lonely at times. But God, I know that you are a God who created us for purpose and you call us for a purpose and you call us to action to set our hope on you and your grace to not conform to the lies that 
or the way we once lived, the, the things that put our hope and our trust in ourselves. But God, we put our hope and our trust in you now, that you are our joy, not what I produce financially or the life that I want to live. That's not my aim. Those are the way I used to think, that if I could just have this, then, then I would be happy. If I could just do this, then life would be a success. If I could just knock this out, then I'd be, that's such a bankrupt, live garbage. But Lord, it's so easy to get back there. And so as Peter says, we're not going to conform to the way we used to live. You've changed our direction. You've changed what matters. You've changed our purpose. And if you exchange those things for hope and joy. And so, Lord, this morning as we worship you, as we close our time in worship, I want you to empower that truth in us, that we have been set apart for a very set-apart purpose that you have called us in all of your glorious holiness. You've called us to a holy life, a set-apart life, a life that is to be used by you for your glory. That there's purpose in every breath, hope in every breath, and a beautiful life that waits. So Lord, hear our cries. We close our time in worship this morning, worshiping you, the risen true king, God with us, Emmanuel. Let's stand and close our time in worship this morning.